Hey, it's Adam. Welcome to our weekly teaching podcast here at South Hills Church in Corona, California. Our hope is that as you listen in, you'll find yourself laughing and learning and being challenged and encouraged to grab hold of who God has made you to be. Enjoy the message. If you are taking notes today, and I hope you do, that you write something down, take it away from here and have some sort of a conversation about it. The title of my message is Boycotts, Beers, and Binary Thinking. We just had a kid's performance. Let's get weird. Um, <laughs> when I was a kid, uh, like I'm a child of the, uh, the 80s. Any other ch- children of the 80s in here? Um, and uh, one thing that was really, really big when I was a kid were the Care Bears. Anybody remember the Care Bears? Oh man, they were the best. Everybody had a Care Bear. Everyone was watching the Care Bear cartoon. I mean, not us. In our family, we weren't allowed to uh, because they weren't Christian. Um, And parents had to protect us from these evil bears. And if you don't know much about them, um, all the bears as pictured here, they had like a little symbol on their chest that like told a little part of their personality. And you kind of get a picture of like who they were. And also like they had really satanic names like Share Bear, Friend Bear, Tender Heart, Love a lot. I mean, just evil stuff. I mean, really <laughs> sinister. And they, the reason we weren't allowed to watch it as kids is because they did magic. And they had this magic that they did where they would join hands and they would aim their bellies at something. You've done this before. And, um, <laughs> and like they would shoot a ray of love and kindness at something. And it had the ability to actually melt people's hearts and break spells and actually like fix broken things, right? Which is, is, is horrible. Um, and so my parents forbade it. And, um, I, you know, and I, for the most part, I did respect that. I did sneak a, an episode once um, when I was seven, I will confess, because my mom's here. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and she was right. Immediately afterwards, um, I started doing hard drugs and I joined a cult and it was... <laughs> That, my, the year I turned eight, well, what a rough ride. I mean, <laughs> whoo, wild. But here's the thing, though. If you grew up in a Christian home in the, in the 80s and 90s, this was your life, okay? Because we boycotted everything. We loved it. Uh, we boycotted all sorts of things that we weren't supposed to do because they were obviously evil, Things like books and music and toys and brands and even all sorts of activities like you couldn't use playing cards or go to the movies. You couldn't get tattoos or piercings because that's how the devil got you. (laughs) And these were things were outlawed. And the crazy thing about these boycotts too was you couldn't opt out, okay? Because if anybody that was like in your Christian circle found out you weren't boycotting the thing that you were supposed to boycott, they would boycott you just like Jesus would. Well, maybe, maybe not, maybe not. Um, and so what happened was, and if you grew up then you knew this, you had a bunch of Christians who were really mad about certain things and then a bunch of other Christians who just didn't want those Christians to be mad at them, so they pretended to be really mad about things that they did and loved and experienced joy from. And I think sort of when I look back on this time and I peel it apart as an adult, I think part of what was behind all of this was this idea that if something is bad for someone, then it's got to be bad for everyone. 
And at the same time, a lot of us believe the inverse as well, which is that if something is good for somebody, that means it ought to be good for everybody. And we should all do it, no exceptions. Because if we're all the same, all of us as people, then we should find the same exact things inspiring, encouraging, tempting, and transforming. But we don't because we're not the same. We're different. In fact, what is inspiring to one person and encouraging to another person can sometimes feel demeaning and demotivating to another person. What is tempting to one person sort of flies under the radar of another person. What is transforming to one person doesn't even register with another. And I think if there's one thing that is clear all throughout scripture, it's that God speaks to all sorts of people in all sorts of ways. Uh, We talked about on week one that in scripture, God speaks to people through talking donkeys and cloud formations and dice games and group discussions. And religious people at the time didn't expect God to use these things to speak, and yet he did, it happened. And when we hear something like that, we think like, okay, that's great, but there's, there's gotta be limits though, right? Like God can speak through some things, but he can't speak through a lot of things nowadays. Like he can't speak through like romance novels or, you know, superhero movies or, you know, video games. He definitely can't speak through explicit songs or shows that have some nudity in them. God would not go near that stuff because everybody knows that God can only speak through the Bible and some worship songs. Okay, not all of them because some of them are weird. And I think the question is, is that true? Because maybe part of us thinks that maybe it is, but then another part of us is like, man, I feel like I know someone who has had a real, powerful, transformational experience with God through something that wasn't technically Christian. Which brings up this question, if God can speak through anything, should we just embrace everything without exception? Like, what is the right thing to do here? Because I think a lot of us really want to know what is best, what is right, and what is righteous. And I think a couple starting points are just the reality that it is not healthy to assume that everything in culture is evil. But it's also not healthy to assume that nothing in culture is evil. And it's also not helpful to assume that everything impacts everyone in the same exact way way. This is what's called binary thinking, that everything is all one thing, that everything is either all bad or all good. And binary thinking is blind to nuance. And when we bring this into our real lives and the real world and our real faith, it can get complicated really fast. Like for instance, I have a a good friend who came to know Jesus and got his life transformed by meeting up with a neighbor at this local bar and having beers together once a week and discussing like spirituality that led to a conversation about scripture, that led to a conversation about Jesus, that led to a transformational decision to follow Christ. At the same time, I have another friend who doesn't drink at all and won't step foot in a bar because alcoholism ruined his upbringing. It it nearly destroyed his dad, it tore his family's, uh, his parents' marriage apart, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with it. And I think what is fascinating about this is you have the same issue, the same substance, the same environment with an opposite 
effect. In other words, when we tiptoe toward culture, it's complicated. And here's something about most of us. We don't like complicated. Okay, we like clear-cut, universal, one-size-fits-all guidelines because it's easier. It's also inaccurate because people are different. And that's frustrating because different is difficult. Wouldn't it be so much easier if everyone was exactly the same? Some of you are like, oh, yes, it would be. And some of you would like, that's not a world I want to live in. That sounds horrible. There are a lot of New Testament stories of the disciples, Jesus, Paul, the early followers of Jesus and church leaders breaking up all of these fights between people that were saying things like, this is bad for me, so everybody should avoid it. But what is interesting is instead of making broad, black and white, binary pronouncements about things, these early church leaders encouraged people to wrestle with nuance, to lean into love, and to be considerate of each other because they believe that God used all sorts of things to speak to people, even things that you wouldn't expect. And I want to point out one particular story. It's in the book of Acts uh, chapter 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we're going to put on the screen so you can sort of follow along. And this is the Apostle Paul, one of the most famous followers of Jesus, who is credited with having written most of the New Testament. And this is a story about him where it's quoting him. And he's giving a speech to people who are not believers in Jesus about who he believes God is. <clears throat> and this is what he says. People of Athens, because he's, he's in Athens, so just as a context clue. I noticed that you're very religious. I've seen your many shrines, and one has this inscription to an unknown God. And this God, whom you worship without knowing, is the one I'm telling you about. He made the world and everything in it. In him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. So I want to sort of unpack what is happening here. First of all, this, this altar that's being talked about here actually still exists. It was uncovered um, in an archaeological dig um, a handful of years back. And they actually have found it in the Greek inscription that says exactly what Scripture says it says to an unknown God. And Paul sees this thing and he connects this sort of like live uh, object lesson to this poem, this really famous poem called The Phenomena. And it was written by a famous uh, Greek poet named Aratus. And this guy was sort of the biggest pop artist of the day, you could say. Like everybody knew his work. And he at one time lived in Athens and was a big deal. And people would go to these big, what we would consider to be concerts and listen to him read his poetry, sometimes set to music. He was a big deal. People knew him, knew his lyrics, were moved by him. And Paul is giving a sermon and decides to quote this guy to make a point. And again, I think it's difficult for us to understand this because we're not Greek. And we are not living 2,000 years ago, and we don't have a Bill and Ted's time machine, okay, to go back and feel what it would feel like. But essentially what he's doing here would be the equivalent of a preacher getting up today and saying, man, I really like Game of Thrones. And episode four of season three undeniably speaks about Jesus. And some of the people would be like, okay. And other people would be like, whoa, you can't talk about that. That's inappropriate. That's how offensive... And out of the box, this conversation that Paul is having was. 
because the poem wasn't written for or about the God of scripture. It was actually written for Zeus, the God of thunder, um, who was this, as the sort of ruler over Mount Olympus. And Paul grew up Jewish, believing that worshiping anyone or anything other than the God of the Old Testament was a sin. And we know that this bothered him. In, in Acts chapter 16, verse seven, it says that he was deeply troubled by all the idols in the city. But what's interesting is he doesn't bash this idolatrous poem. He doesn't condemn it. Instead, he quotes it. He celebrates the artistry of it. And he points out how he believes that his God is speaking through it. How is this possible? This is sort of the way that he explains his paradigm in a letter a little bit later to one of the early churches. In Titus chapter one, verse 15, he says this. Everything is pure to those whose hearts are pure, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. They claim they know God, but deny him by the way they live. They're detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. A little, little confrontational there towards the end. Now there's a lot going on in this passage. So I wanna just unpack what he's actually saying here line by line. He starts off by saying like, everything is pure to those who, whose hearts are pure. And essentially what he's saying is, it is possible to develop such a close relationship with God that almost everything you look at and listen to becomes his microphone. That even if it wasn't constructed with him in mind, it has a way of pointing back to him, of illuminating our need for him, of highlighting all of the places in which our values are different from his and what he is saying to us about it. Then Paul goes on to say, but nothing is pure to those who are corrupt and unbelieving because their minds and consciences are corrupted. Meaning there are some people who are unable to experience God outside of the narrow box they've constructed for him. And for these people, nothing in culture can be redeeming because they've already decided that it's all revolting. And so even if God might be speaking through it, they'll never hear it because they've already made a decision about it. He goes on to say, such people claim they know God, but deny him by the way they live. And essentially he's saying this, if you're following Jesus and you are known more for what you're against than what you're for, like when you are known more for who you disapprove of than how you are loving and serving those who are different from you, you're doing it wrong. And then he closes with this line. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And he's saying here, forcing someone to do something that God prompted you to do on everyone around you will ruin your witness and push them away. And since all of our goal as Christ followers is to help people connect to, hear the voice of, feel the love of, and learn to be and live like Jesus, those efforts are gonna be worthless. And I think when we read this, all of us are like, well, I, I don't, I don't wanna be detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. And so 
How do we learn to hear what God is saying through culture without confusing its voice and its values with his? I think it's a great question. In fact, I think it is the question as we try and navigate culture, as we try and figure out what things are good and godly and healthy for us, which things God might be using to speak to us and which things God might be steering us away from in order to rescue us from potential pitfalls. And I wanna give you sort of a filter in order to, to sift culture and hear God. And the first, uh, I think, guideline is this. To be a student of the culture God put you in. Be a student of the culture God put you in. Because what we really believe is that God puts us exactly where he wants us to have an impact on those around us. Like where you work, where you live, the people you connect with, this is not a mistake. Like God intends for you to impact them with his love. But the issue is you can't really speak to your culture if you don't know the language of your culture. And most of us, we tend towards one or two, uh, one of two unhelpful extremes. We either become mindless participants or we become fearful critics. And I wanna just sort of unpack what I mean by that. A fearful critic is someone who they can't see the positive impact of culture because they're too busy condemning it. Like everything's bad, everything's evil. They write things off immediately because they're nervous that they're being poisoned by everything in the world. And so they just keep everything at an arm's distance and they can't sense anything good coming from it. Then there's the other extreme, which are mindless participants who can't seem to see any of the negative effects of culture because they're too busy embracing it. It's all good. I love it. I want to do it all. I want to watch it all, listen to it all, take it in, go to all the places um, without any sort of sorting or discernment at all. But then there are what I would call discerning students. And this is, I think, the way in which Jesus and the New Testament church um, encouraged us to live. Discerning students see the complexities of culture which enables them to enjoy and evaluate, to learn from and place limits on the culture that they exist inside of. I don't know if you've thought about this before, but do you know how Paul was able to quote that poem in a sermon? He memorized it. It wasn't a trick question. Uh, That's most of the time how we're able. He read it multiple times he memorized it. In fact, the New Testament tells us that he had immersed himself in his culture, that he studied their shrines, that he learned their literature, that he examined their art, that he listened to their poets and philosophers, that he worked and traded in their markets. That if there was something to be known about Greco-Roman culture, Paul knew it. He was well-versed in it. And in fact, there were large swaths of it that he really enjoyed, but he also evaluated that he learned a lot from them and he placed limits on them. But some of us, like we do the opposite. Like we don't learn much about our culture at all. In fact, we exist in sort of this parallel universe where we only listen to Christian music and read Christian books and watch Christian movies. And so in an effort to protect ourselves from culture, we end up preventing ourselves from hearing God in culture. And then it prevents us from actually being able to build a bridge with other people who don't know your insider language, your insider thoughts, your insider literature, the Christian album, 
that you still have on CD, even though nobody uses CDs anymore. Come on, DC Talk fans. I know you're out there somewhere. It's a throwback back in the day. The second filter I would give you is this. Surface the multiple messages coming through it. Whatever it is, it is. Whether it is uh, a brand, whether it's a movie, whether it's a piece of music, whatever that thing is. Because here's the reality. Nothing is ever all one thing, especially when it comes to art. Like it's always a mix of various voices and values. But all or nothing binary thinking convinces us that everything is all bad or all Good. And so what we often do in our Christian circles is we approach something, we immediately find the thing that offends us, and then we throw the whole thing away because it's all worldly and couldn't possibly produce anything good. And sometimes because of it, we miss out on something God wants to speak to us through it and then condemn others from hearing God from it. Like when I was a kid, um, we weren't allowed to uh, read any of the Harry Potter books. And uh, again, it was one of the, the many things we were boycotting at the time uh, in our Christian culture because they had magic and witches, which obviously is evil. And when I got older, I watched the, the, the movies. And one thing I noticed was that inside of it, there were a lot of good, even godly themes about self-sacrifice and leveraging your gifts for good and the power of friendships and the evils of prejudice. Now, I'm not telling you that you should watch it or shouldn't watch it. What I'm, the point I'm trying to make is that it's not all one thing, that we have to apply discernment. And in fact, I would tell you that if you were a parent, a really smart move would be to listen to, watch, and read things with your kids to help them learn to dissect age-appropriate art, to identify a mix of sacred and secular themes and become discerning students of the culture God put them in, as opposed to just fearful critics or mindless participants. And I'll tell you, like, in our house, we do this all the time. Like, if our kids want to watch something, I'm like, mm, this is a little on the edge, but, you know, it still fits in your age bracket. I tell you what, I'll watch it with you. I don't know if my kids remember what it's like to watch a movie without pausing it and having existential conversations. <laughs> they used to get annoyed. Now they're just like, this is what we do. <laughs> Their friends come over and they see the running time on a movie. They're like, this is an hour and a half. And one of my kids will be like, no, this is going to take three hours. This is going to take a long time. <laughs> He's going to talk us through it. And like, man, the quicker you can analyze this thing, the quicker we can move on and find out what happens. We listen to music with them. We read things with them. We talk about things that are happening in culture. And I think a lot of times what we do instead as parents is we just forbid everything because it's bad. And then our kids have no tools when they grow up to know how to sift or discern or pull apart or identify the messaging of anything. They either become people who become like twice the zealot that you are where everything is evil. And so they're like, we got to go live on a farm somewhere and build a bomb shelter, and uh, we just got to live off the land, and just wait till Jesus comes back, you know? Or they're just like, this is crazy, and so they abandon the faith altogether, and they just take everything in as mindless participants, and it ends up poisoning them because they don't have the tools they need to sift culture. And then the third thing I would tell you, the third filter is to sift it's messaging through scripture, whatever that thing is that you're taking in. 
And we've spent an entire week talking about this during the series, but like if you wanna know if a voice or value is consistent with God's, hold it up to scripture. Because the Bible is the bedrock of our faith, especially the Jesus parts. And when we study it, it familiarizes us with God's voice. And it helps us to know what he would say or what he would do, what things he values, how he would treat people. Because the reality of it is, the more you listen to the voice of Jesus in scripture, the easier it is to see him speaking through everything else. And I think this is a big part of what's happening with Paul is he's able to walk into an environment with a shrine um, that is built towards an unknown God amidst all these other like idolatrous symbols. And he's able to read a poem that's written to Zeus and about Zeus and for Zeus. And he's like, I don't know about you guys, but I'm, I'm all I'm seeing is Jesus. Because he was so connected to who God was and what God's voice sounded like. It was as if God was speaking to him through everything else around him. The fourth filter I would give you is this, discern how it's affecting you and your ability to love those around you. Okay, Jesus famously said that the point of life is to love God completely and to love your neighbors sacrificially. And so if something isn't helping you do that, it isn't healthy for you right now. If something is not helping you love God more completely and love your neighbors sacrificially, you probably should push it out of your life. Whether that is a, uh, a short-term fast or like a long-term swearing off of something that does not lead you in a healthy direction. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. He says, you say, basically speaking to Christians, he's like, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. But not everything is good for you. Not everything is beneficial. And also don't just be concerned with your own good, but for the good of others as well. And essentially what he's saying is this, you are free to do whatever you want to. God loves you. Jesus through his sacrifice on the cross has saved you, has forgiven you of your sins. And you are free. You have the grace to make whatever decisions you want. You are free to make a lot of bad decisions. You are free to make a lot of self-destructive decisions. You are free to make decisions that actually hurt other people. Maybe don't do that. That's not wise. He's telling us that following Jesus means approaching everything with the question of, is this good for me? And will this result in me being less loving to the people around me? And you know who will have great insight into that question of like, will this cause me to be less loving to those around me? Those around you. I know, a real brain buster, right? Because they're experiencing you on a consistent basis. I wonder if you were brave enough to ask the people around you, what do the things I'm putting into my life create? Like, what is what I'm putting in bring out? I wonder if the people in your life would just be like, you know what? I noticed that you are more entitled when you watch this. I noticed that you tend to be angry and short with people when you're listening to this a lot. I noticed that when you are with these people, you walk away a lot more fearful. I'm not sure that these inputs 
are making you or helping you to love God completely and to love your neighbors sacrificially. You may want to take a look at that. And here's the point. God can speak through anything, but not everything makes everyone more like Jesus. Which means you're going to have to pay attention to your life and how things impact and affect you. Like just as an example, I had a, a spiritual mentor who told me that there was this Netflix show that he and his wife um, were referred to by a friend and they started watching it and they're like, oh man, this is so good. They got sucked in. By like episode three, they're like, okay, how many episodes can we, is it okay to watch until our alarm goes off in the morning, right? You ever do that thing where you get so sucked into a show, you're just like, one more, one more, one more. One, just one more, one more, we gotta know. And it's, it's 3.30 in the morning and you're like, maybe, maybe this has gone too far. And he and his wife really liked it. But in the third season, his conscience started bothering him about some of the stuff happening in the show. And like, the crazy thing is up till this point, um, he hadn't really had a problem with it at all. Neither of them have. Um, even though the show had some explicit content in it. In fact, he actually told me that there were moments in the show that felt like very clear allegories for things in scripture that really helped him know and understand God better. But by the time they got to the third season, he was just like, man, I don't feel comfortable. Like the sex and the violence had ramped up to a place where he was just like, I gotta bow out. I can't be a part of this. But you know who didn't feel that way? His wife. And she's like, you know what? If it's fine with you, I'm gonna keep watching the show. But I don't have a problem with some of the things that you're having a problem with. And so she did. She kept watching it. Like not behind his back. Like they agreed to it. She's like, is it cool if I keep watching? He's like, yeah, you got to keep me posted on the plot points. And so <laughs> he would go for these long bike rides and she would watch the show. And when he got back, he would just be like, what is this stuff I need to know? And she would catch him up. And it was still something they bonded over. And then by the time it hit the fifth season, uh, she told him like, hey, uh, I don't know what happened, but like a lot of the stuff that was really bothering you that like your conscience was making a point to you about, that stuff has been eliminated from the show. And so he was able to come back and actually finish the final season with her. And it was something that they bonded over. I tell you this story because I think what a great example of people being able to enjoy culture and listen to their individual consciences and making wise decisions for themselves while not judging the people close to them for coming to different conclusions. And then even circling back later to reevaluate if necessary. Like that's discernment. And then the fifth filter I would give you, and some of you are not gonna like this, um, but I have to say it. If you are under 18, just obey your parents. <laughs> some of your parents were getting real nervous in here. Your buttocks were all clenched and you're like, oh, I don't know. But here's the thing. Even if you work through the first four steps and you're like, this thing I'm pretty convinced is not bad for me, but you still live in your parents' house under their roof, do what they ask you to because they're the authority. Because here's the reality. Like God gives you permission to disagree with your parents, but not to disrespect or disregard them. And if you really wanna honor God, if you really wanna honor Jesus, you have to obey this clear directive. And it's not just something found in the Ten Commandments. In fact, Paul reiterates it in a letter to the New Testament, Colossians chapter three, verse 20. He says this, children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. But here's what's interesting. There's more to this verse. 
Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. Interesting that he's got like input for the kids and the parents, specifically for dads, because in this culture, dads made the rules. Dads had the right to say, because I said so. Why? I'm going to punch you. I mean, that was it. There was no other conversation. I was like, yeah, you could. Don't lean into that. And, and, and actually what he's telling parents here is, and I would recommend the same for you, to be a student of both your culture and your kids. Because holding them to rigid one-size-fits-all binary boundaries, especially as they grow older, will likely drive them away from you and God. And some of you have seen this happen. Because the truth is they're individuals. They will struggle with and excel at different things. And that means they're gonna need different boundaries. And your job as a parent is to help them discern what those boundaries ought to be for them. And some of us, we hate this. We don't, why can't the rules just be the same for everyone? Nothing infuriates us more than the customization of boundaries. Why? And I think if, you, if, you, if this bothers you and you search your own heart, I think there's a, a thread of this there that we don't want to recognize. I think often it's because we don't like the idea of someone else being able to freely enjoy something we can't handle. And so if I can't, they shouldn't. And you know where I see this a lot? Children! <laughs> well, if I can't, they shouldn't. That's what immature people, that's the stance that immature people take. And when we are immature in our faith, we take this same stance with everything and everyone all of the time. And oftentimes, the things that we're trying to do to actually prevent people from being corrupted actually prevents them from experiencing Christ in their own way. I think oftentimes we look at this and we're just like, man, I don't like it. It just doesn't feel fair. And I'll tell you this, good parents aren't fair. They're wise. I think this is where sometimes Christ and Christian culture clash. Because on occasion, the message we get from Christian culture is, this is bad for everyone all the time, no matter what. But that really, that posture is more about controlling society, not controlling yourself. And controlling society is not your job. Self-control is a fruit of the Holy Spirit though. So that's a good one. Maybe do that one. And Christ-like discernment says this, this isn't good for me right now. In fact, uh, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter five, verse 11. He says, it's not what goes in that contaminates a person in God's sight. It's what comes out. And, and right here, he happens to be talking about meat sacrificed to idols like Zeus and Athens. It all connects. But really this principle could be applied to just about anything. This is the question that you ought to ask yourself. When you allow that in, what comes out? When you allow that in, what comes out? Is it Christ-like? 
does it produce servanthood or selfishness? Does it produce a tendency to honor women or treat them as objects? Does it produce a sense of fear or a sense of peace? It's not what goes in, but what comes out. And here's the wild thing about the way God made us as individuals is sometimes one person could put something in and something Christ-like comes out. And somebody else can put that same thing in and something anti-Christ comes out. And the Holy Spirit is there to guide and direct you. The people that surround you are there to help you evaluate what things are doing to you. But I wanna encourage you not to lean towards these two extremes to become either a fearful critic or a mindless participant because I think there is so much in our culture that God wants to show you his voice, his face, his values, his intentions through. But the question is, will you be paying attention? Will you be able to discern? Will you see him in the culture? This is why I wanna challenge you this week, your homework assignment to pay attention to the movies and the music and the media that you consume and then ask yourself these questions like, what might God be saying to me through this? And also, how is this making me more like Christ? And what is interesting is you might realize that God is speaking to you through something that surprises you. You might also notice that something that's actually labeled Christian is not making you more like Christ. And you may have to push it back, mute it, block it, unfollow it, because it's not actually bringing out of you what God wants for you. And I wanna pray this into your life today, that God gives you the ability to have this type of discernment in your life. And for those of you that are parents and grandparents and caregivers, that God gives you the ability to walk your kids through being discerning about the culture around them, that your influence in their life would neither make them fearful of everything in culture or just like embracing of everything without boundaries, but they would sift everything through the words and way of Jesus because that's what they watched you do. Would you bow your heads across this room? I just wanna pray this into your life today. God, I'm so grateful for the fact that you, it's not just that you spoke once, but that you are always speaking. That you are constantly having a dialogue with us through so many different things in every facet of creation and culture. God, I pray that we would be able to discern your voice through the art and entertainment, through the environments and establishments around us, because we are so tuned into you and your word that we can see what you are saying. God, I pray that you would help us to be brave enough to draw boundaries in our own lives that other people don't need. And I pray that you would give us the grace to allow people to have different boundaries than we do. God, may the one thing that becomes our guiding light 
be your son, Jesus. May through your Holy Spirit, you enable us to see what you are speaking through, what we need and where we ought to go. We ask this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. We hope you heard something that spoke directly to where you're at right now in life. To find out more about our church, hit up our website, southhills.org slash corona, or follow us on social media at South Hills Corona. And if our messages have made a difference in your life, help us get the word out by rating and reviewing this podcast. And as always, you can support the ongoing work of our church by giving through our website at southhills.org slash give and selecting the Corona Campus. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week. God bless. Thank you.